I want to share something that God has put on my heart, not only for you as a church, but for other churches. My wife and I get the privilege as part of uh, New Covenant Ministries International to minister into churches around the world. And I feel like there's something on God's heart for the church today. So I have a long title. It's called Creating a Place of Liberty Through Kingdom Relationships. Okay? So if you're writing that down, I'll repeat it again. Creating a place of liberty through kingdom relationships. Can we pray? I'll tell you what. I'll pray for you, and then you can pray for me. Okay? Let me tell you, it's in your best interest to pray strongly for me, because you guys are, most of you are polite. You're going to sit here for the next 30 minutes, whether I really communicate poorly or not. So pray, okay? Just go ahead and pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're the one who brings revelation. Lord, we open our hearts to you. I pray that you would thrust this church forward in the things of the kingdom today. Thank you that as we gather, you lead us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I hope you prayed well. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll get started in the Old Testament, but we'll get to the New Testament eventually. I'm going to preach through the whole Bible this morning. Brad told me I absolutely have to be finished by 3 o'clock this afternoon. 2.45? Sorry, I have to be finished by 2 o'clock because that's where the Broncos play. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 23. says, Then he brought us out from there, talking about God bringing Israel out of Egypt, that he might bring us in to give us the land to which he swore to our fathers. He brought us out that he might bring us in. Too often we focus on the just getting out of and not the getting into he brought them out of captivity, but, but he brought them into something that was his purpose and plan. Coming out of captivity, coming out of bondage in Egypt, was part of the process of getting them to the place of the, the land that he had promised. It wasn't the whole goal. It was just part of the process. So what did he bring them into? Leviticus chapter 25. I can tell that uh, Andrew's going to be quicker than I am and gets the uh, scriptures up faster than I get to them in my Bible. Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 10. I'll just read it. No. Talking about the, uh, the Jubilee, but he says, You shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land. To all its inhabitants, it shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. The 50th year shall be a jubilee. So God actually proclaimed a liberty. So he brought them out of bondage, but it wasn't just getting them out of bondage, it was bringing them to a place of liberty. That was the key. In fact, it was such an issue, it was a land 
that in essence, if it had a name, it was named liberty. It was declared or proclaimed liberty. They would redeem the land if it had been sold. God's about liberty. He brought us out of bondage to bring us in to freedom and liberty. Dudley Daniel once said, what you get saved into is more important than what you get saved out of. See, too often we focus on what we got saved out of and we ignore what we got saved into. But if we're not getting saved into a place of liberty and freedom, then we're coming out of bondage into bondage. In the New Testament, the land that we get saved into is the kingdom of God as expressed in the church. The land is supposed to be a place of freedom and liberty. Not bondage or control. It's sad that so many people get saved out of bondage and then get into a religious situation that just brings them into a different kind of bondage. Just so you're aware that this is also in the New Testament, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Jesus, in his very first sermon, is quoting from Isaiah, verse 18, And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The Spirit of God is upon him. 2 Corinthians 3.17 This is a long introduction. Just hang with me. 2 Corinthians 3.17 talks about where the Spirit of the Lord is. I do have it here. It's probably up on the board so quick. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Why was Jesus preaching liberty to the captives? Because the Spirit of God was upon Him. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You're getting a picture here. One more. Galatians chapter 5. You all know this. But it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be tangled again in the yoke of bondage. This is God's purpose. He doesn't want us to be controlled by other people. We'll get to that in a moment. Verse 13. For you, brothers and sisters, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love. Serve one another. Don't use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Let me say this. There's only one control in the kingdom. It's self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Okay, liberty, the word liberty means free from external pressure. Free from some sort of external control. See, external control is bondage. Internal control is kingdom. You're still with me? Self-control 
This is really deep. Get this. Self-control is the control of self. That was that good. That was my highlight for the whole day. It doesn't get any better than this. Sorry. Control of self, our flesh, emotions, decisions. Let me tell you this. Others don't control you. That's what God has. His plan is that His church, His kingdom, is a place of freedom and liberty. That we get saved out of bondage into a place of liberty and freedom. You still with me? Great. That's the introduction. With that in the background, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. I just had to lay the the stage there because otherwise we misunderstand. Matthew chapter 18 is a great chapter. I'm going to read the whole thing. Don't jump ahead. Most people jump ahead and think, oh, well, this is about church discipline. Let me tell you, this chapter is not about church discipline. This chapter is about kingdom relationships. It starts with this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom? Now, if they had had simply said, Lord, how do we be great in the kingdom? That would be different. But once you put greatest in there, it's a comparative term. I want to be greater than Brad. I want to be the greatest. See, that's a relational thing. It wasn't, Lord, how do we all be great? It was, how do I be the greatest? So Jesus, hearing their heart, has an open door to talk about kingdom relationships. So Jesus called the little child to him, set him in the midst, and said, Surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you shall by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus sets a foundation for kingdom relationships. The foundation is humility. The whole chapter we're going to see is answering this one question. So the foundation is humility. That's how the kingdom works. Humility is not self, it's the absence of self-exaltation. It's seeing other people as valuable. Why does Jesus set that as the foundation? Because I want you to understand, in Matthew 16, Jesus had said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Keys unlock things. And so what, what you need to understand is that humility unlocks grace. Humility unlocks grace. Both James and Peter say, God's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now that word opposed, God's opposed, actually means He works actively against you. You don't want God working against you. But humbling ourselves allows grace to flow. And that's why Jesus came and humbled Himself. Philippians. Chapter 2. You all know this great verse. But from verse 3, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in willingness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let, you, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this attitude or mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider something to be held on to, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation or emptied himself, 
taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus is our example. Why was Jesus born in a manger when there was no room in the inn? Not because he came to reach poor people, because he humbled himself, and by humbling himself, grace broke into this planet. Grace was unlocked. He didn't come as a king. He came, he humbled himself. And that's the foundation for kingdom relationships. Still with me. Verse 5, whoever receives one little child like this, in my name, receives me. So not only do we start with humility, he then adds acceptance. We accept people. We receive, even if they're little, even if we deem them as being unimportant, we receive them. And then he goes on and talks about causing one of them to stumble, which is not a good thing to do if you're receiving someone. It's better that uh, your hand or your foot be cut off. What's he saying? He's actually saying when you're so focused on yourself that you don't recognize the good in someone else, it's better that you actually cut that thing off that is your focus so you can recognize others. Verse 10, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in, in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. He's talking about honor. Humility. Not exalting myself, but being humble, accepting and receiving people, and then honoring them for who they are is the foundation for kingdom relationships. You still there? Okay. Hang in there. Then he goes on to say, verse 15, Moreover, if, my, if your brother sins against you, Go hit and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If your brother sins against you, I'm going to make a point here. Twelve of fourteen translations add if your <coughs> if your brother sins against you. There's two that leave it out, and, and it isn't. Pardon me. It ends up being translated if your brother sins. Let me tell you, it's if your brother sins against you. In, in verse 21, we'll get there. Peter says, how many times does do I forgive my brother who sinned against me? All the translations are agreed that it's there. You need to understand, we're talking about kingdom relationship. We're, we're talking about the restoring of relationships. So if your brother sins against you, not just if your brother sins. we're not. Jesus is not making us sheriffs to go around and look at everyone else and see if they've got sin. He's talking about relationship. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Is that clear? Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That's what the Bible says. How many of us say, well, except if I got hurt? We'll come back to that. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. He's talking about the, the restoring of relationship. <clears throat> doesn't mean that he became a brother. Now again, 
some of your translations will read, if he hears you, you will have won him over. That's not what it says. It's not talking about convincing him that you're right. It's talking about a restoring of relationship. Still with me? If he will not hear, take with you two, one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. Please understand what this is saying. It's talking about take with you someone who will witness your heart of humility, your heart of acceptance, and your heart of honor in trying to restore relationship. It's not find someone who was a witness to the original offense. It's not Brad did something to me, so I'm going to get Michael and Tiffany to come, come along, and now they're going to be my witnesses that he did wrong. What happens if there was nobody to see it? That's not what it's about. They're my witnesses that my heart is set on reconciliation. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. If he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you as a heathen and a tax collector. Those of you who have a Catholic background... The church used this to talk about excommunication. That is not a kingdom concept. This is not remove them from the church. This is let them be... Can heathen and tax collectors come to church? Of course they can. Do we love people who are not following Jesus? Of course we do. We receive this. And we're, this is not talking about removing them from the church. This is talking about how we approach them and pray for them This says something interesting. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I've heard people talk, take this out of context and talk about it regarding prayer. But it's not about prayer. It's about relationships. It's in this context. We'll come back to that. Again, I say to you, that if two or three of you agree on anything concerning the thing that they ask, it will be done by my Father in heaven. Basically saying that if two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. What is he talking about? He's talking about when we come trying to restore relationship, when we come with a humble heart, Jesus manifests His presence. He comes into that situation. Let's not take it out of context and make it something it's not. Jesus intervenes. And then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how, many, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. Up to seven times? And Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. And then he tells this story about forgiveness, which is the culmination of everything he's just said. It is the illustration of what he's just talked about. Okay? Still answering the same question. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one who was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And he was not able to pay. His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. And the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Which is interesting. He couldn't pay it. It basically just says, if you give me time, I'll pay it. It was never going to happen. 
And the master of the servant was moved with compassion. He didn't say, okay, I'll give you time, you pay it. It says he released him and forgave him the debt. He didn't say, well, I'll give you time. You need time, I'll give you a little bit more time. But you still owe me this. No, he released him and forgave him the debt. That's where we stand in Jesus. He doesn't say, if you change your life and act better, you can turn yourself around. He says, no, I forgive you the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. His fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Use exactly the same words. And he would not but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that he had done. And his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry, and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. Trying to pay our debt is torture. Because we can never do it. Which is kind of funny. Make, doesn't make much sense, does it? That if Michael owes me money, I throw him in jail where he can't earn anything until he pays me. I mean, that's just stupid. Isn't it? So this is what Jesus is saying. So my Heavenly Father will also do to each of you if, if you, from his, your heart, did not forgive his brother. See, when the story ends, the guy who couldn't pay the other guy, not the master, is still in prison. Let me make four points. First point is this. You only have the authority to forgive sin committed against you. Let me say that again. You only have the authority to forgive sin committed against you. That's why it says, if your brother sins against you. Or if my brother sinned against me. I can't forgive sin committed against Brad. doesn't say, if your brother sins, go to him. Like I said, Jesus isn't making sheriffs out of us to watch out for other people's sins. It's talking about relationships that are broken because of sin being restored. Now, with that being the truth, you can only forgive sin committed against you. If you tell someone else about the offense or the sin committed against you, you put that other person in bondage. If I go to Michael and tell him about something Brad did against me, Michael cannot forgive Brad. He doesn't have an authority. You can only forgive the sin committed against you. So I can forgive Brad the sin he's committed against me, 
But Michael can't because Brad didn't sin against him. Do you understand what I've done? By sharing that, I put him in bondage. That's a heavy-duty thought, isn't it? When you listen to someone else's offense, you are being put in bondage. Gossip is deadly to the place of liberty and freedom. We think gossip is a little thing. It's the way of the world and we get sucked into it. But by passing on offenses, creating secondhand offenses, we put people in bondage. And rather than being a place of liberty, a land of liberty and freedom, we actually become a place of bondage. Okay, take a deep breath. You can only forgive sin committed against you. Let me just kind of make a balance here. Not everything that annoys me is sin. Some of us think so. My wife is wonderfully creative. She's fantastic. But often with creativity comes unstructuredness. Now, I tend to be very structured. Okay? When I make a sandwich, I get the bread out. I get the mayonnaise out. I put it on the bread. I put the mayonnaise away. I get the mustard out. I put it on the bread. I put the mustard away. I get the meat out. I put it on the bread. I put the meat away. I get the cheese out. I put it on. So when I'm finished, everything's put away and I have my sandwich. My wife kind of does it a little bit different. She gets everything out and it all goes on the sandwich. And then she takes her sandwich and she goes away and eats it and leaves all the stuff there and comes back and cleans it up later. There's nothing sinful about the way she does it, even though leaving the mayonnaise out might annoy me. What, what's the point I'm making? You can only forgive sin committed against you. I don't define what sin is. God does. So just because someone has a beard that I don't like doesn't mean I have to go talk to them and tell them that they should shave. Just because someone does something that is a little bit different to my preference doesn't make it sin. You still with me? Point two. That was all point one. We're going to get through this. I told you it's 3 o'clock. Point two. The purpose of going to someone is the restoring of relationship. Sin makes a separation. When I sin against Brad, it makes a separation. And the purpose of going is restoring a relationship. You gain your brother. Not you win him over. It is not... A court trial. The witnesses are witnesses to my hard attitude. It's not, I'm going to get these guys to come with me and back me up so I can dump all my stuff on Brad and tell him what, how, how terrible he's done. And I can be proved right. And I can win the argument. That's not the purpose. 
That's what happens when we're absent. Humility and acceptance and honor. Then it becomes about us. It becomes about winning. It becomes about, I'm going to point how bad you are. No, the, the opposite is what kingdom is about. Not to prove you're right or to justify yourself. Think about that for a second. Third point. There is grace in God for all that He asked you to do. Wait, what, is, how does, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? There is grace in God for all that He asked you to do. I don't know how often I've heard people say, I don't have grace for that person. That's a bunch of bull. That's not kingdom. His grace is sufficient. You don't have grace for anything. He gives grace. So when I say I don't have grace for that person, I'm just using that as an excuse for selfishness. Rather than a restoration, I'm choosing not to walk in kingdom relationship. I'm choosing to allow bondage to enter into the place of freedom and liberty and I'm using spiritual terms that are just a bunch of bull fourth point and this is where I was headed the whole time as Christians we have a huge authority authority to bind and authority to loose We have a tremendous authority. And we need to understand he's talking about Christians. People being put in bondage by other Christians. Not by the world. So that affects us. But he's talking about kingdom. We can put people in bondage. Christians can do that. Hopefully that's not what we want to do. A number of years ago, Mary and I were leading a church in Melbourne, Australia. And one of the uh, leaders in our church, uh, he and his wife, his wife asked us if we would come to the hospital and pray for her, her father who had a really bad arthritis and was in the hospital and they didn't know what to do. He couldn't couldn't actually get up the stairs in his house. And we drive there. And I had been taught once that uh, sometimes unforgiveness is a root of arthritis. So I kind of went into this hospital room with my, you know, history and education background thinking, Okay, this guy's got some unforgiveness. And I knew a little bit of the story and how he had been falsely accused in a church and kicked out and had not been in church for uh, 11 years, 12 years. So I kind of had this idea. And as I walk into the room, the Holy Spirit spoke to me very clearly and said, this man has no bitterness or unforgiveness. You would think I would rejoice. I went, oh, doggone. Now I don't know what to do. See, I thought I had a plan. So now I have no plan. So what do you do when you have no plan? 
You depend on the Holy Spirit. He's a whole lot better. So they asked us to pray, and as I began to pray, we just prayed in the Spirit. And as I began to pray, I found myself praying the breaking of curses over this man that had been spoken by other Christians. Why did I pray that? I have no clue, except the Holy Spirit, because it wasn't my plan. He asked me afterwards, why did you pray that? I said, I have no clue, except the Holy Spirit, because it wasn't my plan. But realized that he had been spoken negative against as he had left the church. He had been falsely accused of something. Rather than getting his side, they kicked him out of the church, and that was communicated to the church. But that actually had a authority to bring bondage. God touched him, and he was healed the next morning. I didn't pray for him to be healed of arthritis. I prayed as the Spirit led. We have an authority to bind and to loose. We can set people free and create a land of liberty and freedom. Or we can bind, put people in bondage by the things we say, by passing on our hurt rather than obeying the word, rather than going to someone alone. So what does that mean? Three things I want to apply here for you. If you've put other people in bondage by passing on hurts. You just need to repent. Repent means admit it and quit it. It means actually think differently. Act differently. Oh, Brad hurt me, but I passed it on to Michael. I just need to repent. I was wrong. I put him in bondage. I've become a tool of the devil to bring bondage rather than freedom. Let me ask you just to bow your head. It's not more spiritual to bow your head. I just don't want you distracted by anyone else. I don't want you looking around. See, we're to be doers of the Word, not hearers only. If you're aware this morning that by passing on hurt, you've put other people in bondage. I want you to just repent. I just want you to acknowledge, Lord, I choose to turn from that. Maybe it was ignorance. Maybe it was you didn't know better. Maybe it was whatever the circumstance. Just turn from that. And then secondly... I want you to move out of captivity to liberty. If you've received a second-hand offense against someone, you can't forgive them, but you can repent and release them. You can say, God, I listened to someone else's complaint against someone. I took on a second-hand offense. Forgive me. I choose to turn from that, and now I release this situation. That it won't affect me and I will no longer be in bondage to this.
that's you. You have an authority. You have an authority to loose yourself from bondage and to release people from secondhand offense that you have toward them. We're talking about kingdom relationships. We're talking about creating a place of liberty and freedom so that people get saved from bondage into freedom by living in kingdom relationships. That's what Jesus was talking about. Thirdly, I feel like the Holy Spirit said that some have been put into bondage by what others have said. Was it just secondhand defense? But it was something other people had said. Someone made fun of you when you prayed. And so you pulled back and said, I'm not going to pray out loud. Someone criticized when you tried to move in the gifts of the Spirit, a prophetic word, or a word of knowledge. And so you pulled back. What's happened is that you've been placed into bondage. Because you believed what people have said. Maybe someone has spoken what in, is in essence a curse over you. Not by cursing you, not saying I curse you, but by saying you will never be able to stand in front of people and communicate. You will never be able to overcome that circumstance or situation. And if you believe that, then you've been placed into bondage by those words. God's wanting to bring freedom today. Last point, there's a difference between deliverance and freedom. Deliverance is a change of circumstances. It's removing the chains or opening the prison doors. But freedom is a change of thinking. Prisoner was released from jail. He said, I do better in jail. I get three meals a day. I have a job. I know what to do. The anointing breaks the yoke, but knowing the truth sets you free. God wants to bring deliverance and freedom. He wants to break the chain, but He wants to change the way we think so that we don't come back into the place of bondage. How many people get delivered from something only within a very short time because they haven't closed the door or they haven't understood what, what put them in that place that they come right back into the place of bondage again? God wants to set free this morning. I'm going to ask you if you stand with me. I have the wonderful privilege of not knowing all of you. I don't mean that like it's not it's a good thing not to know you. I mean, sometimes, you know, we know each other so well that it's hard to hear what the Holy Spirit's saying because we think it's just us. I just believe there's something of the Holy Spirit wanting to bring freedom this morning. 
I've learned over the years that we can't put off responding to God. We can't say, I'll, I'll deal with that later. There's a parable in the Bible about that. The seed sown. And if our heart is hard, it doesn't even bear root. But it can, can, bear, it can set down roots. And then it says it, it actually gets choked out by the cares of the world. That's what's happened when we put things off. God's speaking. I'm going to put it off. You know, but yeah, then we go and we have lunch and we watch the Broncos and then we get distracted by something else and we never respond. So I've learned that it's good to respond. So I'm going to ask you again if you just bow your head. If as I've been sharing this morning, the Holy Spirit's been speaking something into your heart, whether there is a sense of coming into a place of freedom from hurt from things spoken from bondage that you've been placed under by second hand offense the Holy Spirit speaking to you we just respond to the Holy Spirit by lifting your hand and just say God I hear you and I respond this isn't for me it's just you saying Holy Spirit I'm hearing you and I receive your freedom this morning where I've thought wrongly, I change the way I think. For kingdom relationships. Well, I just declare freedom over this church. Over these people. Freedom. Freedom. A place of liberty. People will come out of bondage into a place of freedom and liberty. Father, people committed to kingdom relationships, to building kingdom to honoring Jesus the King, to walking in intimacy with Him and doing things His way, His things His way, His plan His way. Lord, we just declare and release freedom. Lord, we realize that sometimes things take place in the Spirit that are, the word Brad used earlier, life-changing. And for some, that's a life-changing thing today. A church-changing thing as we move into the place of freedom. Lord, there's a setting free, there's a deliverance, but there's a changing the way we think. We choose to align ourselves with the truth of your word. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your liberty. Thank you that you love us so much that you remove every weight every curse, everything spoken that isn't true. You, you're in the process of, of transforming us by the renewing of our mind so that we can live according to your truth and your kingdom. Lord, thank you for that privilege. Thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.